In the name of Jesus, amen. The truth challenges us, especially during the season of Lent. Truth in biblical text sometimes is a challenge because the language itself, Greek or Hebrew or even Aramaic, is difficult. Some biblical texts articulate difficult concepts, and that's where the challenge rests. But most biblical texts are a challenge to apply, not because they are elusive, but because we are. And Lent is designed as a partial remedy to that. So the text before us as it presents itself. First of all, traditions equal displacement. So, for example, the washing of hands is a good thing. Anybody will tell you that these days. There are hand cleansers everywhere and little signs that tell you how to wash your hands and say the alphabet while you do it, and it's all good and healthy. But how many good things to do displace the most essential thing to do? So think about Mary and Martha. Martha, Martha, you're worried and distracted about many things. It's not a bad thing to wait on the human nature of the Lord Jesus. But it's not the essential thing. Martha has chosen that portion, which will not be taken away from her. Tradition equals hypocrisy, according to Jesus in this text. And you wonder where these hypocrites are. They're the people that come to a Christian university and don't come to chapel, right? So there's one walking up the hill now. Or are the hypocrites actually the ones in chapel? The ones outside of chapel don't pretend to be something they're not. They pretend or they don't pretend to enjoy their coffee and the uh, M and dairy or the sunshine or whatever else. But the hypocrisy and the difficulty of it has to do with the sin that's most deadly of all. Jesus already provided a remedy for sins in general. The difficulty is self-righteousness about one's own sins. So just consider yourself. What percentage of your time do you spend thinking about the log that's in your own eye? In contrast with the percentage of time you spend noticing, thinking about, observing, grimacing over the speck that is in any number of other people's eyes. Last of all, tradition equals outright rejection. So Jesus was noticing that the elders in their traditions had found a way to reorient the commandment. You're supposed to serve God, and that would mean caring for your parents, mother and father, but they would said if you actually give what you should give to your parents for their care and providence to us, we'll release you from that other responsibility. How often and in how many ways do we claim our service is to God, but we have actually rejected service to God in order to serve our fallen human nature? How many times don't we have time to do what the scriptures clearly command us to do as essentially Christian because we have obligations and demands in the world that we create for ourselves? So, we come to the latter part of the text. Truth, according to Jesus, says nothing makes trouble for us from the outside. The truth is, 
The source of our trouble is on the inside, our heart. And so the text says, kind of puzzlingly, his disciples asked him about the parable. And I don't actually remember any parable being told in this text. But parable has to do with parallel. We live in a parabolic universe. And so I was thinking about another parable that Jesus told. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off, cast it away from you. Or if your foot, the same thing. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and throw it away from you. It's better to enter the kingdom of heaven, lame or maimed or blind, than to have all of your human nature and be cast into everlasting condemnation. Now, is that literal or figurative? Most people immediately answer figurative. Clearly, Jesus does not want you to cut off your hand or your foot or pluck out your eye. I disagree. Literally, in the first place, is how difficult it is to get rid of those impulses in our lives that cause us to sin. Just stop doing it. Stop thinking those evil thoughts about others. Stop noticing the speck in your brother's eye. Stop displacing the word of God or outright rejecting it by other ideas or interests that you have. It's not that easy. And secondly, it's literally because as Jesus just told us in Mark 7, it's not our hand or our foot or our eye that's making trouble for us. It's something more integral, isn't it? Something right at the heart of us. And it's not the muscle he's talking about. The muscle is parabolic also. It's that integral part of us that pushes out into all the rest of our physiology that which controls it and motivates it. So that most integral part to our human nature is catastrophically contradictory to its God. So what to do about it? What to do with this heart and all that comes of it? Well, God provides superabundantly for that. First of all, provide the law, as Paul says, that stops every mouth and crucifies our nature, which is on the earth. Like Paul on the road to Damascus, and the Son of God reveals himself to him, and he falls on the ground. Or like the soldiers at the tomb who fell down and became like dead men. And then to provide a heart, a mouth, the mind of Christ as substitute. And then to provide forgiveness, atonement, the redemption for all that we do wrong still and always will as long as we're in this flesh. And then provide regeneration, not just a new heart, but what flows from that heart of Christ that regenerates us through and through. And then provide the fuel for that regeneration to continue. So the solution is, what book of the Bible comes after Lamentations? It's easy. Ezekiel 36 and 37. God says, I will take out of you that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes and observe my ordinance to do them. God will do that all for you. Take out the heart of stone, new heart, new spirit. Spirit, sorry, moving through your human nature. And if you still wondered about God's power and ability to do that, you read on into chapter 37, the Valley of Dry Bones. And is there any hope? And Israel says, no, there isn't. 
like a valley of dry bones, how could they ever be restored? And so God says, speak to them, son of man. Prophesy to them the word and spirit of the Lord. And they all came back together and were covered with flesh and began to live a great multitude. That's why we're not afraid to look into the truth. Because it's not the death of us. It's the future for us. That's why we're not afraid of Lent. But we embrace Lent because it brings us to Easter and gives us the fullness of that accomplishment of Christ for us. In his name, amen.